Welcome, food lovers. This is the Field to Fork podcast, where we get to know the people and processes that play an essential role in building a vibrant, sustainable, and inclusive local food economy. I'm your host, Keith Bacon. Field to Fork is sponsored by Charlie's Produce, delivering fresh ideas and fresh produce for over 40 years with a passion for quality products and a commitment to pushing beyond the boundaries of possibility to get good food to good people. Learn more about the ways that Charlie's Produce is cultivating fresh by visiting their website, charliesproduce.com. Field to Fork is also brought to you by Seattle Restaurant Week, a program of Seattle Good Business Network. This biannual dining promotion is a unique opportunity to support Greater Seattle's culinary community, celebrating diversity, resilience, and fantastic food with over 200 participating restaurants. In this episode of Field to Fork, we continue our conversation with Mike Carpanito, co-founder and working farmer at Carpanito Brothers in Kent. Our talk gets tasty as we turn our attention to three Carpanito crops in season at the moment, chards, kales, and hard squashes. Who better to share tips on how to grow, store, cook, and enjoy these tasty vegetables than a person who's been in the business of producing and selling them for over 50 years? Let's talk about some of what's in season that we'll be looking for from Carpenito Brothers as part of Seattle Restaurant Week. Shards, kales, and hard squashes. What varieties are you growing this season? We grow chards, uh, uh, red chard and green chard, two different things. Uh-huh. Uh, the kale, we grow a green kale, curly kale, which most people know what that is, or a lacinato kale, which is commonly known as black kale or Italian kale. And then hard squash, we do the basics. We do uh, kabocha, butternut, uh, Danish spaghetti, and also a squash that's striped and it's small called a delicata. Mm-hmm. That delicata has become quite popular on the restaurant side of things. Yeah, I've been seeing that around a lot. Sure. And do you grow your crops from seed? We do both. We do direct seeding on crops such as cilantro, mustard greens, spinach, that's all direct seeded. Uh, crops like kale, collard, lacinato, chards, those are transplants. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's how we do those. And chard is in the same family as beets and spinach, while kale is a variety of cabbage. Is that right? Yeah, I would call that a, a brassica. Uh, kale is on the cabbage variety, and chard and beets are on the, in the similar family. So if you looked at the seed of a beet and a chard, it looks very similar. In the cabbage seed, the collard seed, kale seed, all has got the same look to it. And rainbow chard is not actually a variety of chard. It's just different colors of chard. Is that correct? It, that's what I've seen, yes. They mix up three or four different colors of chard and mix them up. And I never have figured out if it's all this evenly mixed up or if there's more green chard involved. There was a one they call peppermint chard that's in there, and, and there's an orange one that's in there, mm-hmm. and a golden one that's in there. So there's a bunch of different kinds, and that's what makes up a rainbow chard. Well, if you haven't figured it out, then it might just have to remain a mystery for the ages. I think so. I can only spend so much time figuring certain things out, and that isn't one of them I'm getting to the bottom of. <laughs> but I just 
it's it's good enough. I know it's good enough where I just buy the seed and get the plants grown, and it works. Why do you think kale became so popular in recent years? It's a good choice for a green vegetable, number one. It, first of all, it tastes good. Mm-hmm. Uh, prepared properly, it, it tastes good. It's healthy, and for many years, the only place you ever seen kale was a garnishment on a plate at a restaurant. Right. And that's went away. People truly do eat that. Then it got to be popular with people with smoothies. You know, they put their mixed numerous vegetables, mm-hmm. and they'd add a couple leaves of kale. That got to be really popular. I personally don't do that, but I eat kale. I cook it. So it's, and it's good, and it's a healthy choice. Yeah. Yeah, it was a weird thing when it first moved from being stuffed around the side of a salad bar to on your plate. (laughs) Is this right? (laughs) That's right. My personal breakthrough with kale was when a friend taught me to massage it with salt and olive oil and even some lemon before using it like in a salad. Total game changer. But don't overdo it because you don't want your kale to fall asleep. It could get awkward. Actually, (laughs) it can get mushy if you overdo that. But that was a great trick for me to learn. What is the process for growing and harvesting shards and kales? Is that pretty similar? Yeah, kale and chard, both of those crops are transplanted. And you go out 45 to 60 days after it's transplanted in the field, you go out on a a chard, you shuck the large leaves off, and then we bunch those. On a kale, we start with the bottom leaves, shuck those off, and start bunching those. Hmm. And then we go back into that field harvesting on kale every two or three weeks. The the next leaves up will grow and mature Mm -hmm. and charge every probably three weeks. You go back in and harvest those big leaves again. You don't harvest the whole thing and then chop it up. You you have multiple harvests on that. Uh Uh-huh. And I imagine the growing and harvesting process for squashes is maybe a little less exciting. Pretty much less exciting. Squash, you go in and and harvest one time. You let them all mature, go in and harvest once, and you're done with that field. And the squash take quite a bit longer to grow. You're planting those in May and harvesting in September. In an average year, what's like your typical harvest of chards and kales? Uh, several thousand boxes of it. Wow. We pack it in one dozen boxes. We'll do several thousand green and red with red being slightly more popular than the green mm-hmm. and the rainbow being much less popular. How about squashes? What's your typical harvest for those in a year? Oh, I would say we grow 30 or 40 acres of them. Wow. Of those squash, yes. And that's consistent. Box-wise, I don't sit and try to keep track of that, or I don't remember it very well, basically. (laughs) Yeah. How much squash we harvest. I go by the acres on that. Gotcha. Can you tell the difference between produce grown here in Washington or in the Green River Valley and elsewhere in the world? Probably on some things. Most of the products I grow, they would taste the same. But the thing that we have is we're at the market and it's several days fresher than other places. You don't have just sourcing your crops out of California, Mexico, or Texas. Mm -hmm. We're much, much fresher. Fresher is better for sure. Oh, I think so. It's always what I've been preaching. And you sell vegetable starts at your nursery and garden center. Are these the same plants that you would work with in the field on a larger scale? It is. We use the same exact plants. 
the cabbage, the cauliflower, the kale, the collards, all those are the same plants. So what are some things that home gardeners should keep in mind when growing chards and kales at home? I always tell people, if I have an opportunity to help somebody with their garden, I always tell people gardening doesn't just end when you plant it in May. Plant in July for your fall gardening. Mm -hmm. And plant in July, another planting of all your crops, lettuces, cabbages, chards, kale, all those things. And you'll have a healthy garden going into the fall. And that's when you really want, that's when if you go to source it at the grocery store, your fall vegetables are going to be way more expensive than your spring vegetables. So keep your garden full. When you think your gardening is over, keep planting. Gotcha. No stop. No, don't stop. And the average person that comes in and buys plants doesn't understand that. We, so in our retail, we keep vegetable plants going way into July and sometimes early August. Mm-hmm. And they'll provide for a good fall gardening. And when you've harvested the stuff or brought some of these kinds of things home, what's the best way to store greens like kales and chards? You, you know, one of the greatest inventions that's ever have been invented for uh, home as a cookware is a salad spinner mm-hmm. or a crisper. And that will be able to hold vegetables longer than anything. Wash them and spin them, and it leaves them with a little bit of moisture on them mm-hmm. and, and loose. They're not bundled together. Right. And that's the best way to keep, whether it be lettuce or uh, charge or kale, keep it in something like that where it's got a touch of moisture still there, but loose. And that's that's my suggestion on that type of crop. On a squash, keep it in where there's airflow, in dry air, in, and moving air around it. Don't leave it in a, a stagnant air situation. We have squash everywhere around our house. They're not just in the kitchen. They're on the dining table. They're on the fireplace mantle. They're by yeah. the stairs. They're, they're, it's decorative gourd season. <laughs> there you go, yeah. They hold a lot better being out in the open like that at 40, 50 degrees, preferably, but not in a sterile environment where there's no air. You got to keep the air moving around them. So don't shove them into the back of a cupboard or something like that. No, don't do that. Don't do that for sure. All right, let's get cooking. What do you think are some of the best ways to enjoy? Let's start with shards and kales. I personally steam the vegetables Mm-hmm. And to to season them, I drain the vegetables in a colander and take the pan that I use to cook them and, and chop up some garlic and saute that garlic and roll all the vegetables back into that sautéed garlic and olive oil, that mixture together. Salt mm-hmm. and pepper them, sometimes oregano, put them, mix it all up, and that's how I eat most all of the vegetables. The olive oil is a great dressing on them, but with that sautéed garlic mixed into that olive oil, I think it really gives it off a great flavor. I agree. I really enjoy those kinds of things cooked in the simplest way possible, just, you know, sautéed with a little garlic. Maybe some bacon. My last name is Bacon, so I'm I'm always pushing that. I'm a big fan of bacon. (laughs) Are you? Okay. That's a great idea. I don't eat much of it myself, but it's a great way of doing it. There's nothing wrong with that. And I like kale in a a lot of ways, too, also simply, but also... it pairs really well with cheese, like 
like a parm or a fancy sure. cheddar cheese sauce or maybe a not so fancy cheese sauce. How about squashes? What are some of your favorite ways to prepare those? Some of the squash I bake and I cut them in half, bake them with brown sugar like they did in the old days with acorn or Danish squash. Mm-hmm. When we were little, we used uh, syrup like you put on your pancakes. Uh-huh. So anyway, you can use um, butter, brown sugar, syrup, uh, maple syrup. I also steam a lot of squash in a steamer, and that keeps it a little more moist in the cooking process, doesn't dry it out. And the other way is just bake it without anything, without any those ingredients that I mentioned that are going to put some weight on. Just I've seen it, you take some collard greens or kale and uh, put them in that boat of uh, delicata. That's mm. an excellent way. And particularly if you sauteed those greens with some bacon and stick them in that boat of uh, squash. Yeah bake that for a while. That's a great way of doing it. Yeah, they're all together at last. (laughs) Sure. There's a lot of good recipes created by a lot of good chefs out there on how to serve squash. If someone said to you, I don't like kale or I never eat squash, how would you try to change their mind? I'd ask them what kind of vegetables they do like and see if there's a if there's a reason they don't if there's a real valid reason they don't like it. Maybe they maybe there is. I haven't found too many reasons. I've preached to people they should increase the intake of those green vegetables mm-hmm. and find a way to like them. Maybe they remember some horror stories about their mother making them eat spinach. Maybe change the way to eat it. You can take kale and uh, saute it in that olive oil and throw that on top of a pan of vermicellis, for Mm -hmm. instance, and have an excellent meal. Change it up a little bit and Mm -hmm. explore a little bit. Yeah. With chard and kale, we're talking about some of the most nutritiously dense vegetables you can eat. So that would definitely be a selling point for me. And with squash, we're talking about a top-notch butter and brown sugar delivery system. You can basically make it (laughs) dessert you can eat with dinner rather than having to wait until after. Exactly. Exactly. I haven't found very many valid reasons not to eat any of that. So I don't side with the people. I and say, geez, I feel your pain. I, I try to talk him into, let's explore something and maybe maybe something will come to you that you might like. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you could do this with kale, but pickled chard stems are pretty tasty. And now that I'm thinking about it, maybe I need to try pickling some squash. See, I've never heard of that, pickling that. But I can see doing that, pickling chard stems, absolutely. Yeah, when I make some, I'll bring some out to you. There you go. It's like pickling. I'm sure it'd be the same as pickling beets. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If you needed to work some of these vegetables into a breakfast, how would you do it? To serve them as a breakfast, I would take the leftovers of some of my vegetables and and uh, scramble them with eggs. Mm-hmm. And, or bake them, make a frittata out of them, put some good Parmesan cheese on top of it, mm-hmm. maybe some tomato or... Throw something else in there, you know, explore around that way. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm all about the omelet, which you can really put anything into, including just about any leftovers. And you really haven't lived until you've had a stroganoff omelet, which would probably be even better with a little sauteed chard or kale. And those things and squash also make a great addition or element of an eggs benedict if you're feeling creative and engineering. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) When you and your brother were young, did you ever get in trouble for not eating your vegetables? 
No, I ate vegetable. The only vegetable that we didn't like as kids was parsnips. We, mm-hmm. But everything else we ate, and and we still eat. To, my brother and I still eat it all today. So we we never <laughs> we never had any problems doing that. That was not an issue. No, no, not at all. <laughs> my mother was a good cook, and I grew up with my mother. Obviously, at my mother and dad's, but my grandmother was right next door. And so for any reason, we didn't want to eat at one, we ate at the other. (laughs) Variety, (laughs) the spice of life right at home. Yeah, there was always something good at my grandmother's house. (laughs) My grandmother cooked a lot of parsnips, and I I enjoyed them. Now I enjoy them more than ever. I think my dad made us eat them every meal, I think, at the time. Oh, because they, we, they, if they, if you can get them to grow, you get them a lot of them to grow. So all of a sudden, you got to eat them a lot. So yeah. anyway, that. But all the rest of the greens there was, that was pretty easy to stomach. Is having lots of vegetables. My stomach is rumbling. I wonder if my microphone just picked that up. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm getting hungry myself. <laughs> when you go out to eat, what are you most likely to order? I typically go to a seafood type restaurant, and I always look and see what vegetables are served. And and I really enjoy a restaurant that serves a big portion of vegetables, whether it be broccoli or chards or kale or anything like that. I think that's what I like. Mm -hmm. And that's important. It's get a good serving of vegetables where it's not a garnish. But generally, if I'm with people, I'm always getting their portion of vegetables because Not everybody eats them like I do. We will be keeping our eyes peeled and posting on social media where we find Carbonito Brothers produce out in the field or on the plate, I should say, as part of Seattle Restaurant Week. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your story with us, Mike. It was really great getting to know you and and learn more about this family-run business that you've been keeping afloat as part of our local food economy. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. You can find Carpenito Brothers on the web at carpenito.com and look for social media updates from Charlie's Produce, Seattle Restaurant Week, and us, Field to Fork Podcast, on where to find their locally grown chards, kales, and hard squashes on dishes as part of Seattle Restaurant Week. That's it for this episode of Field to Fork. If you like what you heard, please leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on, and be sure to share our show with your friends. Thanks again to our sponsors, Charlie's Produce and Seattle Restaurant Week, for this chance to showcase the people of our local food economy, who enrich all of our lives by bringing a passion for quality food to our culinary community. Field to Fork is a Made with Bacon production, all rights reserved. Interviews have been edited for brevity and clarity. I'm Keith Bacon. Thanks for listening.